Let us pray. God of love, you loved us so much that you set your only son to be born as one of us, to die on the cross for us, and to rise again for us. You have commanded us to love you with our heart, soul, and mind, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. And you have promised us that the Holy Spirit will lead us into truth. So we ask for the Holy Spirit's presence now on Pastor Steve and on all who are listening to your word as we learn about this hard saying from Luke 14. Help us to carry our cross and to follow you. We pray all these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. As we continue our series through those uh, hard parts, maybe uh, hard to understand uh, if you take them at face value, uh, we're going to head into the New Testament this week. Um, you know, in the last three weeks, we're in the Old Testament, and likely there are other sections in the Old Testament that you think are odd hard to understand, they need some explanation, like, why is there a tonky, talking donkey? Uh, you know, did a guy really get swallowed by a big fish? Uh, you know, all these different things. And if you have some additional questions, some things that you've gone through Scripture and you wonder about, I invite you, email me. Uh, who knows, maybe we'll do another series like this where we'll cover all those examples that you guys uh, give me in an email, uh, but we're heading to the New Testament. We're going to look at three, uh, three passages in the next three weeks. Two of them are things that Jesus said, and one of them is something that Paul wrote. And if we take today's passage at face value, we would somehow think that Jesus wants you to hate your family. Uh, so we're going we're gonna to look at this passage from Luke 10 a little bit, or sorry, Luke 14 a little bit, and I want to remind us a little bit about those principles that we're using when we look at Scripture, and I hopefully will be able to put them on the screen. The Bible is, right, a collection of books, so that means we read each book just a little bit differently. There's different styles of writing. The Bible is written for us, but not to us. I might need some help here. Uh, there we go. And then the next one, never read only one Bible verse, right? We're not going to cherry pick and just pick single things because they're all within the context of chapters and in, in, in whole books of Scripture that we need to kind of use them to help understand what each verse means for us today. And then the last one, which is very important as well, that everything, everything in Scripture, even the Old Testament, points to who Jesus is and what Jesus is doing in our life. So we're going to head to Luke 14. If you grab one of those black Bibles, that will be on page 848. Students, if you have your Bible with you, it's on page 1277. 
And we'll be reading from verse 25 through the end of the chapter together. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate, and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you. Saying, this person began to build and and wasn't able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he's not able, he will send a designation while others is still a long way off and ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is fit neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. It's thrown out. Whoever has ears, let him hear. Man, Jesus has a way with people, doesn't he? You could say that Jesus oftentimes, in in even more areas than just this one section, he always seems to advocate for doing whatever the hard thing is. Maybe you could call it not just the hard thing, but the uncomfortable thing, the unnatural thing. Today's passage, Jesus was with this large crowd that had had gathered around him. Uh, They had been following him. They had been traveling with him. And and I think author N.T. Wright gives us a good example of, of how to frame what Jesus says in this passage so we can have a a good understanding of maybe who Jesus is, what he was doing there, and what he was asking the people to do who were going to follow him. He says, N.T. Wright says, think about a politician saying this. If you're going to vote for me, they say while standing in front of a large crowd, you're voting to lose your homes. You're voting to lose your families. You're asking for higher taxes and lower wages. You're deciding in favor of losing all of those things that you love best. Now, if a politician chose to stand in front of a large crowd and say those things, you could guess that he or she will not garner many votes. Vote for me, lose your Social Security. (laughs) Vote for me, no more Medicaid or Medicare. Right? 
I don't think there'd be a way to gather a group of people. It's not a way to rally a crowd. And that's definitely, you know, we would say that's probably not what Jesus was doing there. Hate your family if you want to follow me. We wouldn't necessarily think Jesus as a politician, even though we do think of him as king. But N.T. Wright says, what, about, what if we think about him as some great adventurer asking us to come along with him on a journey? Jesus would say, if you follow me, this might be the hardest thing that you've ever done in your life. We're going to go through the world, through high mountain passes and long hiking trails to bring urgent things to the people who are in need all around the world. You guys are going to have to pack light. You got you to leave all your phones and tablets at home. All those knickknacks and family photos, just throw them out of your bag. The path will be too steep and too treacherous for you to carry all that extra stuff. And I want you to know one more thing. If you follow me on this journey, it's going to be dangerous and you might not make it home. There's a little bit of a difference there, isn't it? One is gathering votes of, of someone you'd like to have lead. And then it's generally you evaluate that person on the things that you want and that you desire. Yet for the adventure, going on an adventure and following a leader that knows the path well, your desire for the things that you want probably becomes less because they know the path, they know the cost, they know what will help you make it through to whatever the goal is to bring those needed things, those desired things to people all around the world. And, and maybe then you're, you're willing to make your pack a little lighter to throw off those things where you once desired them so greatly. The thing is, Jesus never really hides his requirements of discipleship from his followers. There's, there's other parts of Scripture that Jesus tell people these requirements. They're all located in the four Gospels, those, those books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And in various sections, he has these audiences with, with great numbers of people. Other times, he has these small conversations with individuals. And Jesus, even there, somehow seems to pour cold water on the fire of someone's faith pouring cold water on the fire of someone who wants to maybe follow Jesus. There's perhaps a story you know, maybe you don't, I'll remind you. In Luke chapter 18, so just a, four chapters after here, this rich young man comes to Jesus. You know, I think this rich young man comes to Jesus. Man, Jesus, here's your opportunity. you got all this ministry you want to do. Get this guy to follow you, and you will have unlimited cash reserves, and you will be able to do everything you want. But that's not what Jesus thinks, because he doesn't necessarily maybe think like us. 
Jesus' response is, yeah, follow me and bring your cash. No, it's, all right, go sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and then come follow me. And we read that the man, he went away sad because he had a lot of stuff. He had a lot of things that he would call treasure, like those squirrels Emily talked about. And he wanted to keep it. There are other places in Matthew chapter 8, that first book in the New Testament, Jesus has a crowd around him, and one person says, I will follow you wherever you go. And, and another says, let me go bury my father, and then I'll come follow you. Jesus' response, it's not, okay, yeah, that's a reasonable request. Why don't you go bury your father and, and then come find me. I'm going to be in this town at that time. Uh, but instead, Jesus, uh, his response is kind of cold. Let the dead bury the own dead. These people that want to follow Jesus, and he's acting like he doesn't want anyone to follow him. He's bringing about the hard thing to these prospective followers' minds. Because Jesus, he, he wants to gather a group of people that are willing and ready, that know the, the cost of what is before them, and they're willing to put aside everything that they desire and in all the things that they would normally want to do so that they could do the hard thing with Jesus for the benefit of the world. Hard things, hard things always have a cost. But Jesus wants to show us here that no cost is ever too great. No cost is ever too great. So in today's passage, he talks about this family. If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. In our modern understanding of language, uh, this sounds very anti-family, doesn't it? Uh, yeah. You know, Jesus, though, he's not really telling us to hate our family. He's not even telling you to hate the weird brother and sister you have. Uh, or, uh, i got to be careful, i got a lot of aunts and uncles. Um, weird Aunt Eleanor. I think I have an Eleanor in my family. Not even those people you are supposed to hate, Right? Because the reality is, from what we know about other parts of Scripture and what Jesus says, He tells us to not hate our enemy, but to love them and to pray for them. He, he tells us not to hate the people who persecute us, but He tells us to pray for them, right? Because there's no room for hate in the life of a Christ follower. So there's, there's got to be something else going on and, and some other reason why Jesus uses the word hate or the, the reason why we translate whatever word he uses into hate. And the reality is this word is being used as hyperbole 
It's, it's being used in one way to compare one thing with another thing. And, and it's basically if we are faced with a choice between family and the choice of Jesus and following Him, there needs to be one clear winner. And it's always going to be Jesus. There's a really bad joke, but it fits in with, with Emily's story about squirrels. Bad joke about uh, Sunday school and how Sunday school, the answer is always Jesus. And, and the teacher goes to the students, what is, what has got a fluffy tail? four feet, and loves to hide and eat nuts. And, and the child is thinking, they're, they're thinking, and they're like, well, you know, it sounds like a squirrel, but the answer's got to be Jesus. And that really bad joke, that's the truth, though. When we're faced with any choice, whether it's, it's money, whether it's family, whether it's our very home, whether it's that vacation that we've been planning on, and, and we're faced with those things, and Jesus, the answer, no matter what that looks like, no matter what it sounds like, it's always Jesus. The answer must always be Jesus. If, if I think about it, and maybe you've thought about these things too, and how much you maybe love the things on this side, maybe particularly our family. Family is so important probably to a lot of us. If, if we found out a, a family member or a close friend or someone we loved was experiencing some type of emergency, some type of difficulty, you probably know the person in your mind and, and you would give up anything and everything to make that difficulty, that emergency, that hardship go away for that person. You'll, you'll leave work with maybe the possibility of being fired to go to that place. You'll choose to drive through the night to, to get home to be with those family members that are sick and hurting. You will do whatever the hard thing is to go and be with your family, and that's what Jesus is asking for him. That's what Jesus is acting, asking even to a, a greater degree. There might be those issues going on, but he says, no, I know how hard that is and I know how much you want to go there and do that, but, but the choice should be me. I'm the one that you should love more when faced with the choice of loving family and me, love family just a little bit less than me. And he invites the people to, to count the cost of what is the cost? What is that thing that you need to, to give up? What are those things that you're giving up to follow Christ like you would give up for your family members? Sleep at night or, or a job during the day or whatever those things have to be. And to help us understand this cost, uh, he gives us stories 
because Jesus is a, a fantastic storyteller. And he says this, suppose one of you wants to build a tower, or one of you wants to renovate your house, build a new house, whatever. Won't you sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? Anytime you likely take on a home project, you try to figure out if you can actually do it. I've, I've seen this. My brother-in-law, Kent, bought a house in Princeton Estates, and, and he said he's going to renovate the entire thing. And, and, and when he started, he uh, asked to use my van, and then I assisted in loading, I don't know, I don't know how many thousand pounds of flooring we put in my van, but I helped him carry each and every one into his house. He estimated the cost. He, he knew how much flooring he needed. I am also th uh, think about this when I drive down 52nd Street. Has anyone ever driven down 52nd Street going east? And as you're driving, you're going into the woods a little bit. Uh, there's this structure, and it's built with beams, these, these large beams, and it has, it has kind of the wall structure, but no real walls. It has the roof structure with, with sheathing and, and maybe some tar paper on it, but it has no shingles. And, and every time I drive by that, I'm like, what was that person thinking? And that's what Jesus is bringing about in this story. If you went along one place and you saw a a foundation built and it sat there for years and years and years, you would think, what is this person thinking? They didn't count the cost. They didn't figure out how much it is. Now, we know there could be circumstances that have led to that. But that's what this is getting at is, do you and can you give up what is needed to see the journey through to completion? This is a, a question that is solely on the person who's, who's estimating out the expenses, solely on the person who is estimating the, the cost of the tower. But Jesus gives us the same example, just a little bit differently next. He tells a story of kings going to war. It says, suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able, with 10,000 men, oppose one coming against him with 20,000? There's a twist in this story because where initially the story was you got to figure out what the cost was, and if you couldn't meet the cost, well, then you just don't do it. This one, you have an army that's coming against you with 20,000 men. And you need to figure out if you can go against them with 10,000 people. The choice isn't yours. The choice is being made and you have to, you have to do something. And there's, there's one of two choices. Either you think your 10,000 men can, can beat their 20,000. Maybe it's, you know, you got David's mighty men and, and you can take them on with 300 or whatever. Maybe that's not the case though. And, and so then you need to figure out, well, do you need to send a, a peace delegation to negotiate terms of peace so that, that you don't die. You have to count the cost. Can you, can you, with your own ability, stand in front of Jesus who is our judge and argue your way to salvation? 
Can you stand there and do that all yourself? Or do you need to figure out if you can't make that, if you're willing to have someone negotiate terms of peace and that you would then maybe take on the will of that other king? For us, it's taking on the will of God. It's the same person that's the judge who will be our mediator and peace bringer. And every step of the way, Jesus urges us towards that peace. Every step of the way, He urges and desires to align the the people of Israel, the people that He's speaking these stories to, the, the people that are gathering around Him on all these different areas where He says, let the dead bury their dead, or where He says to people, no, go sell all your stuff and then come follow Me. Where He says, foxes have holes, but... Uh, the Son of Man has nowhere to lay His head saying that this journey is going to be hard and and are you willing to, to take that on? And He's urging people towards peace, asking that they give themselves up for His way. And in the passage ends with the, the words, He who has ears, let him hear. And it's kind of a clue to us. And the response of the people is that the people don't have ears. The people are, are not going to follow. Jesus' message is, is falling on deaf ears and not many people are going to understand. Not people are going to take up that cost and and are willing to give up what is necessary to follow Jesus. I think the difficulty is that when we try to figure out what that cost is, it's hard to quantify what the cost will end up being until you get there. If you ask anyone who's gone through a home renovation or anyone who's gone through a building project, I, many of you were perhaps here when that whole half of the building was, was being built. And there's timelines that are, are needed to be met, and there's, there's a, a, an estimate that's made. And I wonder, did that actually finish in range of the estimate? Because often what you find is there's extra things that, that come up, and sometimes the cost ends up being more than what you thought it was going to be. And maybe that's why that, that structure on 52nd Street is the way it is, because the cost was, was more than what they thought it would be, and they weren't going to make it. Jesus asked us to, to estimate the cost of what it looks like to follow Him, and for some of us, we have no idea what that means. For the Israelites, the, the ones who would choose to follow Jesus and would, would come to be known as, as Christians, the, the first Christians, the, the individuals who lived in just a few generations after Jesus, they, they, could, they could know what the cost was going to be. It was going to be tangible for them. It was going to be rejection and ridicule and increased tension. It was going to be persecution. It was going to be losing their jobs and their employment. 
It was maybe even going to be losing family for those people who had devoutly Jewish families, people who, whose relatives were not going to recognize Jesus as Lord, were now going to reject their own family members. No one, no one in those days chose to follow Jesus casually. That really was an option. And, and there's people today, too, that, that the choice to follow Jesus is not one that's made casually. Those same Jewish families that have deep Jewish roots, if, if one of their sons or daughters follows Jesus, there would be a cost for her involved. For for the people who grow up in Muslim regions, there would be a cost for them to choose to follow Christ. They would, would lose their family. Maybe even if it's made known, they'd lose their life. In, in Asian countries where there is ancestral worship, there's a, a cost that they know right off the bat if they follow Jesus. A little bit it's ridicule. A little bit it's rejection. Because their family members will say, well, you chose to follow Jesus. You are turning your back on your grandmother. You are turning your back on your great-grandmother. You are turning your back on all our ancestors that have come before us. It is like you hate your family. There's a cost. For us, though, in the United States, I wonder how easy is it for us to figure out what that cost is. Choosing to follow God and to, to drive here on Sunday morning or to watch online, often there's not going to be any semblance of deep persecution that these other individuals would experience. There likely wouldn't be that same amount of rejection. But maybe, maybe we, we think back on our life, the cost of following Jesus might still have been friendship. Because of how much you've come to know Jesus and what Jesus desires of our life, how we're to, to care and love people, maybe you went to one of your friends and you said, Jeffrey, you have some really destructive behavior. You have this anger and frustration, and you always seem to take it out on people. And that's not the way that you should live. And, and your friend Jeffrey says, maybe some choice words to you. He says, I can't believe that you've betrayed our friendship this way. I thought, thought we had a good relationship, and that was the last time you heard from him. Maybe the, the cost of following Jesus ends up being 
the people that we know, the people that we know that we desire a better life for, we, we desire them to experience something greater, and yet they want no part in doing it. Maybe the cost is its just simply people don't understand why you live the way you do. Why would you give up your Sunday morning? Why would you come and go to church on Wednesday night or to Monday night to council meeting or to Tuesday on Bible study? Man, you live at church. Why would you seriously give up your free time to go do that when you could just do whatever you wanted? You could sleep till 11 in the morning on Sunday or 1 in the afternoon. If you live in the Pacific uh, time zone, you could watch football in the morning and not go to church. Maybe it's people not understanding why you would choose to live the way you do. Whatever the cost is for us, likely there's not going to be this overarching cost that's the same Not all of us grew up in Muslim families. Not all of us grew up with worship of, of our ancestors. Not all of us grew up, uh, or maybe even any of us grew up with, with a, a Jewish family and, and, and devout following of Yahweh. But I think there actually is one cost that, that we share together. And it's the constant cost of God renovating each and every one of our hearts. When we choose to follow Christ, we are entering in a relationship where He will continually pick apart our mind and our heart. Where He will continually point out those things in our life that aren't fully aligned with the way that He wants us to live. And when we when we when we choose to follow Him, and, and when we try to give up of our own will, there is going to be a cost, and sometimes it hurts. Sometimes He, he tears us down and, and brings us down to the ground so that He may build up something new. When God renovates our heart, it isn't always easy. It isn't always pleasant. And yet, He still asks us to go through that hard thing, to give up of ourself because the truth is no cost is, is too great. The truth is we, we, can't, we can't meet salvation on our own. We, we need Jesus. So that anything that we give up to follow Jesus pales in comparison to who He is, and the life that He has for us. And the reality is the cost isn't necessarily just about ourself, is it? If we think about that example with the adventurer, we're following Jesus and He's got this purpose of making disciples throughout all nations that we would baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and we would teach them to obey everything that Jesus has commanded. That is, is part of the goal, and there's going to be a cost associated with that too. Not only do we give up of ourself 
for Christ, but we give up of ourselves for the benefit of the world. That all people that we meet, that we would be able to invite them, invite them to, to count that cost too. Invite them on a journey where we would we would give up of, of some things to experience something greater and more profound. To, to give up some things like sleeping in till 11 on Sunday morning so that we would be joined to a community of people that love us. That care for us. That want to see good things for our life that would take time in the morning to to bless young children and have those blessings spoken back on each and every one of us. That we would be joined in a community that cares so much about our life that they're willing to say, I think you need to give up your hold on this part of your life. To, To lean in and follow Jesus a little bit more. When we experience those things, the community that God has for us through other believers, that's not the only thing. We experience the benefits of of peace with God, knowing that in the last days of our life, that our salvation is secure, that we truly will be with Christ. That as we live throughout our life, that we would understand the cost of giving up some things would then lead to the empowerment of the Spirit working within our life, allowing us to to do more than we could on our own. When we realize the benefit of those things, then, then we realize, yeah, no, no cost. No cost is too great. Because nothing can compare with our life being rooted in Christ. Nothing can compare with our life taking on the the will of God and bringing the love of Jesus to everyone in the world. Let's pray. Father, you don't call us to hate our family. In fact, you actually call us to to take on a new family. When you you unite yourself with us, when we declare that we follow Jesus, we're we're united with him. We we become your child, a a child that, that has so many brothers and sisters in Christ that love and care for us deeply and that would want nothing more than us to love Jesus more than we love them. Lord, when we're, we're faced with those times where we have to count the cost of, of giving up something, losing something to gain our soul, so to speak, arise within us through the power of the Spirit a desire to say yes to the hard things you call us to do that all in the world would have an opportunity to experience that peace. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.
I want to welcome back our amazing musicians to the stage.